All right, all right, all right. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. How are you? I'm tired. How are you? Eh, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how you been, Ames? My ass has been working hard. Working hard. Yeah, I like it. Busting, so have I. Busting my ass lately, but it's Saturday. Yes, it is. And we're in a new month. Yes, we are. Thankfully. So, yes. Um, so today is another installment of Ashley's Bowl of Cereal. Yes. Which yes, is we exciting. Are. Oh, Will shared some fascinating videos with me this week. I'm he sure you did. saw. I They're saw very them. interesting. Yeah. Aliens on the moon. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to make of that last one that he sent me of that thunderstorm in Australia because I was like, that could just be like a spotlight or something. I don't, right. I don't know. It was weird, but it was cool. <laughs> um, Thanks, Will, for... For being our yeah. number one supporter. Right. <laughs> and much appreciated. Samantha Joe rates right up there with him, man. She, she so does. We appreciate you. We love you, Samantha Joe Duffy. Yes. Um, we appreciate you guys. Yeah. So uh, we got big news coming up, I guess. Uh, our girl Jennifer is going to be at Blue Ridge Rock Fest vending yes, this is. year. So yes, Moon is. Goddess Creations, check her out. Yep. Uh, yeah, and if you're going to Blue Ridge, let us know. Hey, we might, we'll see you there. We're gonna be there, Danville, Virginia, guys. <laughs> so um, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, uh, stoked to go to concerts again. Yes, yes, so, I'm so so uh, excited and ready. If anybody knows me, they know that I love horror movies, and of course, because of my love of horror movies, Ice Nine I Kills is gonna be there. So. Adore and love me some Ice Nine Kills. Yeah, they're great. They're amazing. I cannot so, wait to finally be able to see them live. Hoping this is so. going to be Aiden's first concert. Finger crossed. Fingers um, crossed. Not banking Fingers on anything, crossed. but, you know, we're hoping. Yes. So, um, I guess that's, like, the only news we got, really, yeah, right absolutely. now. So, yeah. we are going to go ahead and get right into it. Yes. What are we talking about today? So, What I are get... you obsessed with currently? Um. Well, Netflix just released a docu-series on this particular serial killer. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I said, you know, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity to... And it's not the Night Stalker. ...research him and kind of bring to light because there's so many, like, conspiracy theories and everything that's gone around this particular serial killer. Because this one's still kind of sort of unsolved, really, in a way. It's no, solved. that's the one I'm thinking. The one I'm thinking of is the Zodiac. Yes, the that's Zodiac the one I'm thinking has of. Not been solved. Yeah, but that's this the one, I was one the the killer there, at least one of the killers has been taken into custody. But the the thing with this one, and and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about it, is we don't know was he the only one that was doing these things. Oh, okay. Um, and you know, it just kind of is what it is, but. In case you did not know who I'm talking about so far, I am talking about the infamous David Berkowitz, otherwise known as the 44 caliber killer. The son of Sam. Otherwise known as the son of Sam. Sweet. Let's uh. hear about it. <laughs> I'm, in- I'm interested. In it. I'm, I'm here for this one because, um, believe it or not, I'm not a big serial killer fan. How... Ever. There are some serial killers that fascinate me. Yes. Um, Son of Sam being one and the Zodiac Killer being another because yes. that's like unsolved and you can't tell me Ted Cruz is not the Zodiac Killer. 
Oh my goodness, <laughs> not Ted Cruz. I love you. Um, not Ted Cruz. <laughs> I mean, he's a psychopath in his own right. But um, <laughs> I digress and I move off topic. Yes. So let's so, so let's talk. Um, so Zodiac Killer is one that I would like to do because it is unsolved and. You know, it, it that one did happen in the '60s, so it is. And recently, still, like, they just decoded like one of his ciphers, didn't they? Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk about yeah, him. Yeah, so I, I feel like that would be a good one because he could possibly still be alive, it's depending possible. on what the age he was when those killings were happening. Right, he, he could be could old or, as balls now. Yeah, yeah, but but that's another episode. Y'all stay tuned because I have a feeling we're gonna it's do that up. one. Yeah, because Amy um, wants to talk about him. Right. <laughs> Who wants to talk about him? I do. Yes, yes. I do. I yes. want to talk about I was like, I killer. thought you said a name, and I was no, like, who wants me, to talk about him? Just me. <laughs> just me. Me. <laughs> me. Hello. But, but yes, yeah, so um, to to kind of start off, he was born um, Richard David Falco on June the 1st, 1953. Oh, so he's only 20-some um, years older than my brother. Mm-hmm. Wow, Gary, you're old. And... Um, <laughs> That means he's a Gemini, right? Aren't Geminis the beginning of June? Um, no, because my friend Heather's a Gemini. So I think she be? was born in March. Because I thought I thought Kelly was a Gemini. Somebody's She's a Gemini. Born. I'm a Gemini, Gemini rising. Does Gemini that count? dates are March the 21st through June the 20th. So. Okay, so yeah, Gemini. Yeah, he's a Gemini, which kind of this kind of makes sense that a Gemini. Would do these things. So what are you saying about me? I'm a Gemini rising. <laughs> Geminis have two sides. Bitch. You say, no, you're calling me two-faced. No, I did not call you two-faced. <laughs> I said Geminis have two sides. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Hey, a Gemini, there might be two killers. Just saying. We'll get We'll get, we'll there. get there. We'll get there. Um, but he was born, again, on Richard David Falco. And... Um, he was the self-proclaimed son of Sam, which was christened by the media at first as the 44 caliber killer um, due to the weapon that he used. On he used a 44 caliber. Right. Do you use a pistol or a rifle? A uh, pistol. Okay. Yes. Um, he pled guilty to eight separate shooting attacks that began in New York City during the summer of 76. Okay. Um, now, Berkowitz grew up in New York City, and he served in the Army before committing his crimes using a forty-four caliber Bulldog revolver. Okay. So. I'm beginning to sense a theme with some of these serial killers. Why are they all in the military? Right. Or have some sort of military background or training of some sort. That's a good question. That's Maybe weird. because of the type of training and the things that you see while you're in the military. Maybe. It can. PTSD. Affect and, your Well, affect you, your we mental. all know it can because, right. I mean, right. it's a thing. It's real. So, and and he, um, he, let me see where he was stationed because I had it written down. But, but yeah, I have it written down. But, um, yeah, he killed six people and he wounded seven others by July of 1977 and the killing spree terrorized the New Yorkers, of course, and pretty much the whole entire world at that point. Right. Especially those people in New York because this was directly there. Right. Um, so as a number of his victims increased, uh, Berkowitz eluded the biggest police manhunt in the history 
of New York City. Wow, that's saying something. It really is because New York City is a big city. Well, I mean, it's a big city, and but it, technically speaking, like space-wise, it's kind of small unless you start pulling into the boroughs like Queens and Brooklyn and Long Island. Which he did and, go to different boroughs. He did go to the different boroughs to do stuff. But at the same time, New York is heavily populated. Oh, yeah, of so course. So because of it being heavily populated, you're going to have more crime, more killings and you things like that because of that. people on top of each other up there. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not like down here in the south where it's like... You have yards and feet miles away from yeah, people at really. times. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, he... Um, was eluding that police, like I said, in the biggest manhunt in New York City history while leaving letters that mocked the police. And not only mocking the police, but promised future crimes. And they were highly publicized by the by the press. Okay. Um, which left some laws that are based in his name to come about. Oh, I would assume so. Um, so... On the night of August the 10th of 1977, he was taken into custody by the New York Police Department homicide detectives in front of his Yonkers apartment building. He was subsequently indicted for eight shooting incidents, and he confessed to all of them. I mean, when they when they called him, they said, you got me. And he was, then they said, we have who? And he said, the son of Sam. Oh, well, at least he was straightforward about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so he had officially, when he got indicted and he got arrested and everything, he said that he was just obeying orders by a demon that was manifested in the form of a dog belonging to his neighbor, Sam. Okay. And so despite that explanation, he was found mentally competent to stand trial. Now he pled guilty to second degree murder and he was incarcerated in state prison. Now, he subsequently admitted that the dog and devil story was a hoax. Okay. Okay. Now, in the course of future police investigation, Berkowitz was also implicated in a lot of unsolved arsons in the city. Um, from the research, I was reading up to 300 different arsons that he could be. Okay. So, he's a pyromaniac as well. Uh, exactly. Okay. Yes. Cool. Play with fire. Get burned. Exactly. So now I did talk about that intense media coverage, right? right? So because of that, um, the media lent kind of a celebrity status to Berkowitz. I mean, he seemed to enjoy it. I mean, he was loving all of the attention. At well, this I point, bet. Right? I mean, it, what feeds into, it's basically it kind of feeds into his whole whatever it is he's got going on in his head like oh i'm gonna keep doing it because the more attention they give this they don't know who's doing it i'm gonna keep doing it and i'm gonna keep fucking with them i'm getting mm -hmm. all the attention right now and they don't even know it exactly exactly i mean you can even see when like they were a delusion of grandeur in a way right so you can kind of even see in media coverage from when they were bringing him in and all of the people, like, there was almost riots, basically riots that were starting because they they had him. Wow. And they were all, like, trying to get to him. And they were trying to, like, and he was walking through. And you could even see him, like, grin at the camera. Like, ha, ha, you got me. <laughs> like, wow. Insane. Insane. That is it was wild. feeding into that. It was, he was, it was feeding into his ego. Um, so because of that, um... The New York state legislator enacted a new status. 
Now, this is known popularly as the Son of Sam laws, which is designed to keep criminals from financially profiting from the publicity created by their crimes. Yeah, because before that, they could, like, sit in jail and write tell-all books and sell interviews and shit and get money from it. Right, and we even talked about... um, Because didn't Ted Bundy try to do that? This was before Ted Bundy, so I don't know. But it was one of the killers that we talked about. I I believe that it was H.H. Holmes. He wanted to write the book. That's right. Remember? He he was the one that was trying to profit off of it. Yeah, and he was actually doing it. Yeah. Because that was, like way before this even happened. But this was the point to where New York started it and was like, you know what? We are not going to allow you to profit off of this evil deed that you did. We're not going to give you what you're wanting, which, which is, is the attention, publicity, the, the attention. Exactly. We're not going to give that to you, which is a good thing because this probably has stopped more serial killers from doing it for the attention part of it. You I don't know what think I mean? so. It could. I mean, look, there's so many people in the world you could pass by a serial killer and not even fucking know it. And, you know, I've I've read statistics and stuff that say that you are in your lifetime going to walk by at least, I want to say it's 30 something killers. Oh, wow. In your lifetime. And you don't even know it. I mean, it could be something like when you're in in a store shopping and it's just a random person. I mean, I've been to New York City. So, I mean. And New York. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I've read statistically. Um, But that law um, has remained in New York since that point. It has not gone away. Um, Are there any other states that have those same laws? uh, There are 41 other states that have those same laws. Is ours one of them? Uh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, So this status, again, it's gone through several legal changes to make it more cut and dry more well also to be able to modernize it and and modernize it exactly um now berkowitz has been incarcerated since his arrest and is serving six consecutive life okay so he's still alive he is still alive okay so we're talking about one that's still kicking yes this he is still alive in prison and um during the mid 90s he amended his confessions and claimed that he had been a member of a violent satanic cult and that cult had orchestrated and basically told him for him to be what's the word that i'm looking for to be included in this in this cult right to be him for him to be initiated into the cult to be initiated into the cult he had to give them a picture of his family and they basically told him if you ever screw us over this is his words basically if you ever screw us over we're gonna kill them and then after we kill them, we're coming after you. Okay. So he's basically saying that he was a part of the satanic cult. He explains that that's what's going on. And these murders were a ritual murder basically to be initiated into the satanic cult. Uh, and to okay. Do My feeling is, is that rituals. if you, a person that's already behind bars and has been apprehended for doing these things, you shouldn't be able to go back and change your confession to make it even crazier than their first one. Right. Okay? That's just... Now, this is 20 years later, so maybe he finally was like, you know what, I'm going to be in jail the rest of my life anyway. I might as well just... I might as well speak the truth. I might as well just say some batshit crazy shit. Who knows? Just to keep my name out there. Right. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But at this point, I mean, he had been arrested since... You know, the 80s, the, the late 70s. So it's like 
Mm-hmm. You've already been arrested for a while. It's I like just, I, 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 you, and this is why this case is so interest, intriguing to me because there's so many things like this. Well, I see that as a trying to get attention kind of deal because, like <clears> you <throat> said, it was yeah. so highly publicized. He enjoyed the attention. Well, nobody talks about him really anymore. too much anymore. His name's right. not always out in the right spoken outwardly it's not really something that's constantly being discussed exactly until like a documentary comes out or something exactly so it's kind of a way for maybe him to get a little bit more five minutes of fame oh look the son of sam has come out with a new confession everybody's talking about it for a while and then he gets Mm -hmm. a little high off of that because you know he's watching the news it's just the cat don't pay attention to her um now of course there are and were several police officers that actually found his claim of the satanic cult credible okay right um some don't which again is part of what the documentary was based on is can you just open the door um i'll cut this part out okay let me let the bitch to go to her kids go on both y'all get out <laughs> all right so um now, like a, a few law enforcement agents, uh, authorities actually believed the story and found it credible. Um, I guess in some people's mind frame, it's easy to blame a satanic cult or a demonic possession when you're dealing with someone that has done such evil actions. Well, I feel like a lot of people are more comfortable with blaming it on that yeah, than they exactly. are dealing with the fact that somebody has the capability of doing those things and being happy about it exactly. and feeling no kind of remorse and exactly just nothing you exactly. know so i feel like maybe they're more comfortable um blaming it on that even though it may or may not be the truth because it's just an easier it's an easy way to believe it's an easier thing to believe yeah. than than basically facing the fact that there is a person in this world that is so cold-hearted and mm-hmm. so devoid of emotion and empathy that they are capable of just killing several people in cold blood. Yes. So I, I kind of feel like that's more of a long light that they're more comfortable blaming the crazy shit than the actual batshit crazy person in jail. Exactly. Um, Now, because of those claims, they did open up a new investigation of the murders that began in 1996, and that was suspended indefinitely after inconclusive findings. Now, a lot of people want to say, oh, that's just the police department covering themselves. There's other people that are like, he was just like what you just said. He's evil. He did evil things. This is it. You know, like we just have to take it as that. Do I think that he was the only one that did these things? No. No. I do think that there were other co-conspirators, who they were, how many of them they were. I don't know 100%, and I'll never know. We'll never know. We weren't there. Or if we really want to go there while he's going on doing all this, there is a copycat. Yeah. And, of course, he's going to take, because everybody's already assuming it's him doing these things so yeah and he's already proven that he's a glutton for the spotlight so Mm -hmm. even though he may not have committed those murders he probably took credit for him because oh hey you're talking about me yeah who gives a crap if it was somebody else i did it like the confession killer I did it. It was me. I murdered over a hundred and something people. And he did. It was me. And, and we, We're going to talk about him because that's another one I want to talk about. Mm, we're, mm, yeah. Um, 
So now that we kind of know a gist of him, right? right? We kind of know there was an open investigation. There's a new documentary on him. People are still talking about him to this day. Well, yeah. Maybe not as much as they were back in the 70s, of course, when he was still on the loose doing these things. But we're still talking about it. Right. Um, now, he was born. Um, his mother's name was Elizabeth Broder. People called her Betty. Okay. And grew up as part of an impoverished Jewish family. Okay. Now, she was a waitress, and she was married to a gentleman named Tony Falco, who was an Italian-American, and uh, they got married in 1936. Now, after a marriage of less than four years, he left her to be with another woman. Of course he did. Yes. So I bring that up because then she started a relationship in 1950 with a married man whose name was Joseph Kilman. Three years later, as I mentioned, he was born in 1953. Okay. She became pregnant with a child whom she chose to give the surname Falco to because she wasn't married to Mr. Kilman. And, um, you know. And, of course, she probably still had her married name of Falco, so, of course, she's going to give the child her last name. Right, right. So, within a few days of... Richards, which is David's birth, um, which we know him as David's yeah. birth. Um, she gave the child away for adoption. Okay. Um, although her reason for doing so are unknown, um, writers have submitted that her husband, uh, the guy, Kil- Mr. Kilman, made I don't her know do why it. I'm saying Mr. Kilman because he does not deserve that respect, threatened to abandon her if she kept the baby and used his name. So she didn't use his name. Put the baby up for adoption so she could keep her married man that she was having an aff- that he was having an affair with her. That that's some bullshit right no. there. Yeah, like really, exactly. that's fucked up, man. So he's already starting off. He's already starting off on a bad on a bad note. Right. Like let's just face it. Again, um, another child brought into this world that has been fucked over by family. Yes, yes. Now, um, when she gave him up for adoption, he was adopted by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz, and they lived in the Bronx. Okay. Um, The Jewish-American couple were a hardware store retailers, and they just had modest means, you know, middle middle class, doing their thing. Um, And they were in their middle ages, and they didn't have any children, and they wanted to bring a child. They wanted to raise a child. Right. So they um, they adopted David, as we know him. Now, they reversed the order of the, the boys' names when they adopted him, and they gave him their last name, raising young David Richard Berkowitz. Okay. As their only child. Now, journalist John Vincent Sanders wrote that Berkowitz's childhood was somewhat troubled. Now, although um, above average intelligence... He lost interest in learning at, at an early age and became influenced with petty larceny and starting fires. As one does. Exactly. Signs that your child's going to be a serial killer if they're, that shit if they're fire. doing these things. Yes. Um, neighbors and relatives would recall that Berkowitz, um, as being difficult, spoiled, of course, if you're the only adopted child, yeah. and you're you're raised into an only child situation especially with someone who can't have kids and they're going to dote upon they're you. going to give you absolutely everything you want exactly and a bully oh well. so hmm. his adoptive parents even consulted at least one psychotherapist um to help deal with his misconduct and misbehavior okay 
which never resulted in any legal intervention or serious mention in his school records, um, where he attended public school, uh, even though I don't know exactly where these schools are. But um, again, we also have to remember he was coming up in a different time. Exactly. And things were not done like they are today. Exactly. Because back then you could still get your ass beat by the principal. Right. So he attended public schools number 123 and public school number 77. I'm sure that means something to you if you live in New York, but Well, yeah, they um, don't really they're not really like named after places like right. we have down here. Right. There's so many of them up there. Yeah. I guess they have to be numbered. I don't know. I'll ask one of my friends. She's from up north. Yeah. I'll ask her because she lives in Jersey. Yeah. So. I, I, that's just the way that they mention the public school, the elementary schools that he went to. Right. Um, kind of thing. Now, his adoptive mother died of cancer. She had breast cancer and passed away when he was only 14 years old. Oh. So not only did what your mom to do with that give you away. Now your you don't adoptive know, mother. Right. Now your adoptive mother is, is gone. And in addition to that, it became strain after his adoptive mother died because he didn't like his adoptive father's second wife. Oh. So he got remarried. Nobody likes the stepmother. He didn't like that. Right. So now he did live with his father while attending Christopher Columbus High School, which he graduated in 1971. Okay. And college in a four and a half room apartment at 170 Dressire Loop in Co-op City in the Bronx from 1967 to 1971. So again, this guy was, even though he was going through that, Still pretty smart to be able to go through that and get a degree, a high school degree, a college degree, and all, you know. Yeah, so, you know, he he graduated. He's doing his thing. Um, In 1971, at the age of 17 years old, Berkowitz joined the Army. I did mention that he was part of the Army. And he served at Fort Knox in the United States with an infantry division in South Korea. Okay. Now, after an honorable discharge in June of 1974... He did end up searching and locating his birth mother, okay. Betty. Now, after a few visit, a few visits, she disclosed to him the details of his birth, and of course, hearing that at seventeen, right? right. I'm sure he's still processing. Being you know, in the, you know, when he got out the army, um, you know, I'm sure that his thought process was, "I'm dealing with losing my adoptive mother, the woman that raised me. Right. I don't like my stepmother, so I don't really have a good relationship with my adoptive father. And now I've been in the well, army, even so then, that's going to mess with me. As an adopted child, you and now most you know. adopted children I can think of want to find out where they came from, mm-hmm. and that's just most that I can think of. I know there's probably some that don't <clears throat> want to know, right? Which is fine. If nothing else. For just, like, what kind of medical history is in my family? If, like, I don't need to know anything else, but just tell me, well, my do I have history. to worry about this because of hereditary conditions right. and things like that? Um, but I don't think that was on his mind. No. His thought process was, I just want to find her. I'm sure. Right. Um, so, of course, this is all going to be a lot to take in for him, you know. Um, so, you know, he had that destroy. He had this array of reluctant father figures you know he he, his adoptive dad didn't care and chose his second wife over him basically and you know his his biological father basically told his mother you have to give this child up i don't want anything to do with it i don't want it around 
you well, know. Well, not only the fact that he was married and exactly. didn't divorce his wife. Exactly. I mean, you know, that could tell you something there, too. Yes. Um, now, forensic anthropologist Elliot Layton described uh, Berkowitz's discovery of his adoption and his birth detail as a primary crisis of his life, a revelation that shattered his sense of identity. Well, yeah, because he didn't know who he was all this time. He grew up thinking that he was a certain person mm-hmm. and only to come to find out, oh, no, they weren't even my biological parents. Right. Exactly. Um, now, his communication with his mother would later lapse. But for a time there, he remained in communication with his half sister, Rosalind. Um, he did attend the Bronx Community College, as I mentioned, for one year, enrolling in the spring of 75. And um, and in 76, he went to work as a driver at a co-op city tax company. So he was a taxi driver okay. um, for a little while. And then he subsequently had a um, several non-professional jobs. It doesn't say what they were, but um, at the time of his arrest, he was working as a letter sorter for the United States Postal Service. Oh, Yes. So he went postal. He went postal. That's a good description (laughs) of him. He went postal. He went postal. He went postal. Um, Now, during the mid-1970s, Berkowitz started to commit violent crimes. Um, He bungled the first attempt of murder using a knife, and then he switched to a handgun and then began a lengthy crime spree throughout the New York um, boroughs of the Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn. So he sought young female victims, and he was um, perpetually most attracted to white women with long, dark, wavy hair. I wonder if they bared a resemblance to his biological mother. I don't know, because I did not find a picture of her. Or his stepmother that he didn't like or something. Maybe. Because, I mean, you know, obviously. That thought process came through Typically, if you think a serial killer, he's going after women, he's obviously got a not-so-high opinion of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, he might be lacking in the whole um, relationship department Mm -hmm. and obviously must feel like women are inferior to him at some point. And I can only just gather this by the many serial killers you and I have discussed so Mm -hmm. far. And when their victims tend to be women, they tend to have a very low opinion of them and they're having some kind of... um, what you call interpersonal relationships yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Or they're not able to get their rocks off without it. Yes. So, you know, that is a common trend. That is a common trend. Um, now, all of his crimes involved two victims. Okay. He infamously committed some of these attacks while these women sat in their boyfriend's parked car with them. They could be at a lover's sleep. They could be returning home from a date and saying goodnight. It, they were usually in a car together. And then Alone. he would usually shoot up the car. Um, and he exhibited an enduring enjoyment of his activities. And often he returned to the scenes of the crime. And I cannot remember which serial killer said this. but And I don't know if I'm just making this up off of the top of my head. Because I just distinctly remember this. Um, that... One of a, of a serial killer saying, if you want to catch us, go back to where we committed the crimes because we're always going to go back to where that happened because basically they use that as almost like a, a, a it's like a souvenir. A, it's not like a, it's it's more like a, a sacred place 
for them. Yeah. And they, they well, usually go back wonder. to them. Makes you wonder because, you know, usually there was probably crowds around or something when the police are finding and they're investigating people rubbernecking, trying to be onlooker. How many mm-hmm. times those serial killers were in the crowd watching the police? All of that. Right. Watching all of it. Especially with situations like Jack the Ripper. Right. Or even the Zodiac Killer because I'm you don't know. I'm pretty sure the Zodiac Killer did. You don't know. I'm I pretty mean, sure BTK probably did. Yeah. I could see that. I'm pretty sure he it. did. I could see it. But and, and I, I really, really... I don't know if I just made that up off the top of my head that I heard a serial killer say that. I don't know, that. but I feel like it's been said somewhere. Or right. Like I've seen I, that I believe on like that a I've heard it or seen it or, or something somewhere. I feel like I've seen that said like on a documentary about like Ted Bundy or something. That's what I'm thinking is maybe it was a Ted Bundy quote. I'm thinking so. We'll, we'll have to look on that. Maybe. If anybody knows, let us know. Yeah. Um, so Berkowitz claimed when he was going through his confessions right saying i did it haha you got me i'm the son of sam blah 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 right right that when he was 22 years old he committed his first attack on christmas eve um in 1975 so he said that he used a hunting knife to stab two women in co-op city one alleged victim was an hispanic woman and she was never identified by the police and the other was a 15-year-old Michelle Foreman, a sophomore at Truman High School, whom he had attacked on a bridge near Desire Loop and whose injuries were serious enough for her to be hospitalized for seven days, but he didn't kill either. You know, he didn't kill her. Okay. Um, now, Berkowitz was not suspected of these crimes, right? They just right. thought it was just a random killing Nobody suspected that he did it, but he admitted that he was the one that did that one. And um, after he did that, he said he soon relocated to the apartment in Yonkers, and which is about 20 to 25 minutes from Co-op City. Okay. So he just moved basically to... A, just a, moved down the street, moved basically. down the street, right, right. Um, now, the first shooting that was attributed to the son of Sam was um, on... July the 29th, 1976, at 1.10 a.m. Now, I've always heard the saying, don't nothing good happen after midnight. This is a prime example of that kind of being truth. Right. Um, and uh, this happened, again, at Pelham Bay area of the Bronx. And Donna Laria, who was an emergency medical technician, she was only 18 years old, and her friend, Jody Valenti, who was a nurse and she was 19, were sitting in Valentini's double parked Oldsmobile discussing their evening at Peachtree's, which was a um, which was a diskette, right? Where a discotheque, right? A discotheque, basically like club, like right? It's 54. a disco club. It's a yeah, basically. It's a dance. It's, it's a, a dis- nightclub. It's, right. It's it's basically where you go, and it's a club where they play disco music. They have the disco balls going, and it's the a lights nightclub. and stuff. It's, it's basically what that is. Yeah. It, it's like going to the saddle. Right. And the saddle still existed. Right. So now Laria, she opened the door to leave, and she noticed a man, and he was quickly approaching the car. Now she, of course, was startled and angered by the man's sudden appearance. And she says, now, what is this? And he then produced a pistol from his bag that he was carrying, and he crouched down. And he braced one elbow on his knee, 
And he aimed his weapon with both hands and he fired. Well, yeah, I figure 44 calibers got some major kickback on it. No wonder. Absolutely. Now, you can't um, shoot that sucker with one hand. Yes. It ain't a Glock. Exactly. Now, um, Loria was struck by one of the bill, one of the bullets, and it killed her instantly. Right now, Valenti was shot in her thigh, and a third bullet missed both women. Um, so the shooter turned and walked away quickly. Now, Valentini, she survived her injuries and said that she did not recognize the killer. She described him as a white male in his 30 with a fair complexion, about five foot eight, um, weighing about 200 pounds, which this sounds like David Berkowitz to me. Well, he wasn't in his 30s. He may have looked older than he was, though. Possibly. Because if you look if you go by timeline, right. he graduated in 71. Mm-hmm. And so this happened in 76. So, this was so he was 17. So he was born in 53. So that would have made him. Well, you said he was 17 in 71. And this is five years later. So he was 22. Right. But he could have looked older. Yeah, or she could have misunderstood the, the was age dark. or something. Right. Because of the darkness. But that. I could understand that well, man, yeah. David Berkowitz. Because it does kind of. You know. With the, with the weight. The fair complexion. And the height. You know, it all seems like it adds up to being David Berkowitz yeah. at that point. Um, she course, said they don't that know his that. hair was short, dark, and curly, which was in a mod style. Hello. Yeah, but they don't know that. <laughs> right. They don't know that it's David Berkowitz. But this one sounds like David Berkowitz. Um, and he actually admitted that this is one that he did. Because he said, I did this one and I did this one. But I was at this one when this happened. But I didn't pull the gun. I didn't. I didn't shoot the gun. Is what he basically Copycat. said. Um, they, he was saying that there was part of the gang and some of them had to do some and some of them had to do the other kind of mm-hmm. thing is what he was saying. But um, the description was then repeated by Loria's father who claimed to have seen a similar man sitting in a yellow compact car parked nearby. Yes, cars what yellow. kind of car does David Berkowitz have? A yellow car. Well, taxi cars are <laughs> yellow, too. Yes. Um, so now neighbors gave cooperating reports to the police that an unfamiliar yellow compact car had been cruising the areas for hours. I love how you just said yeller. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> Before the shooting even happened. So that's his first one, which right. he said, that was me. I was the one that actually pulled the pulled the trigger on those. Yeah, that was actually me. That was actually me. He said, that was me. I did it. Now, on October the 23rd, 1976, a similar shooting occurred in a secluded residential area of Flushing, Queens, next to um, Bound Park. Okay. Now, Carl Denaro, who was a Citibank security guard and 20 years old, and Rosemary Keenan, which was a Queens college student, who was 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car um, when the window suddenly shattered. Um, De Niro said that he felt the car explode Ooh. later on. Like, I guess, you know, with, like you said, it's got a lot of kickback. Yeah, it's got a lot of kick I mean, to I can, it. I, I mean, I've shot, of, I've shot a 44 <laughs> Magnum, and I mean, that thing can kick. Yeah. Yeah. And mind you, I'm all of five foot three, 140 pounds. Exactly. I was a lot well two kids ago right <laughs> you know a couple right. years well 13 years ago I, I was a lot smaller and mm-hmm. um you know I when I shot that because I used to go to the shooting range 
And I've shot a 44 Magnum, and that thing put me on my ass. Mm-hmm. So yep. <clears throat> I know that kind of weapon has some, has some, some kick, kick to it. it. Yeah. Um, so when he heard the windows shatter and he felt like the car exploded, he quickly started the car and drove off, right? I mean, right. he's like, I'm getting this. the hell out of here. I'm out. I'm done. Okay, I'm, gone. I'm, I'm done. I'm gone. So, of course, they were both panicking, and they didn't realize that someone had been shooting at them. They didn't know what was going on at that point. And even though De Niro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head. Yeah. To his head. To his head. He only had superficial injuries from the broken glass. And um, he did eventually need a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull because of this. Well, I would um, assume so. That kind of weapon has some power. Yeah. The fact that he did not die yeah. is yeah. insane. Yeah. And neither victim saw the attacker because all that they heard was the glass shattering, the car sounded like it almost exploded, and then going. Like, they didn't, right. they didn't take like, a second to to see who, who was doing this, what was going they on. They the were just like, out we're out of here. Um. Now, police then determined that the bullets embedded in Keenan's car were 44 caliber, but they were so deformed that they thought it was unlikely that they could uh, ever be linked to a particular weapon. They just right. knew the type of bullet that was. That they couldn't was. really tell the kind of striations that came from the chamber or anything like that. Exactly. Now, De Niro had shoulder length hair at the time when all of this was going on. And police later suspected that the shooter may have mistaken him for a woman because of his length of his hair. So he may have thought that there was, again, two women talking about their night and, and in their day, yeah. right? Because um, it wasn't like he saw them making out it wasn't or like he anything was right like up that. On right. He, did, he just saw. Because if he was right up on them, there. he probably would have killed both of them. Because he would have been close enough to do exactly. it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Keenan's father was actually a 20-year-old police detective veteran from the New York City Police Department. Oh, that's great. She's so, of course, detective son. this is going to cause an uproar. Right. Right? Now it's personal. Now it's personal. So it caused an intense investigation because of that. It's sad that it takes somebody to make a personal attack like that for something to really be investigated. But, right. but again, yeah. it was... Um, and as with the Loria Valentini shooting, however, many details of the De Niro Keenan shooting were very similar to that case. They weren't linked. Right. Now, police did not initially associate them as being linked together, like what you said, partially because the shootings occurred in two different boroughs and they were investigated by two different local, precincts. two different precincts, right? Right. So they're just like, okay, we're dealing with this. Y'all deal with that. And or they, it's a big city. they didn't even know about it, right? Because like you said, it's a big city. And they're broken up in the five boroughs for a reason because it's so big. Um, so that was the second shooting that was associated with the son of Sam. Right. He said he was not involved in that one. I call bullshit. I don't know. Like I said, I personally believe that there was more than one shooter. But you can take what a serial killer tells you with a grain of salt. Because more than likely they're gonna they're they're saying what they have to say for an agenda, right? Um, so, high school student Donna Damasi, she was 16 years old, and Joanne Lamino, 
who was a student at Martin Van Bureau High School when she was 18 years old, were walking home from a movie. They went and saw Rocky, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, after midnight on November the 27th of 1976, and they were chatting on the porch of Lamino's home in Floral Park, and a man dressed in military attire, right, um, who seemed to be in his early 20s, approached them and began to ask for directions. So in a high-pitched voice, he says, can you tell me how to get, but then quickly produce the revolver. And he shot each of the victims once, and as they fell to the ground injured, he fired several more times. Like, he's like, the other people got away. Y'all ain't. These people are not getting away from me. It even struck part of the apartment building, the gun, the bullet, um, before he ran away. Now, a neighbor heard the gunshots, of course, and he rushed out to the apartment building, and he saw a blonde man rush by gripping a pistol in his left hand. Now, Damasi had been shot in the neck, but the wound was not life-threatening. Now, Lamina was hit in the back and was hospitalized in serious condition. She was rendered a paraplegic from that point on. Oh, my goodness. Um... So, even though he shot them, they didn't die. They didn't die. Now, a lot of people, this is where that conspiracy comes in. Well, it's possible he could have been wearing a wig. Was it not him? Because some people are like, he was wearing a wig. Other people are like, there was more than one killer. So, whichever one you want to believe, believe. I tend to go on the uh, side of he's wearing a wig. Sorry, I didn't mean to yawn. And for me, I like, I almost believe more that it was more than one shooter. Yeah. There was more than one. Um, but again, again, that goes to show either way, you're not wrong because we don't know. Right. We weren't there. We don't know what was going on. We were not that. the one shot. So we, exactly. So there you go. Now, <clears throat> at about 1240 on January the 30th of 1977, Christine who was a secretary and was 26 years old and her fiance John Dial John Deal excuse me who was a bartender um so I do stand corrected this couple was leaving a movie theater from seeing Rocky I don't know what the other couple leaving what the two girls what the movie that they saw um but um John Deal he was 30 and he was a bartender and they were sitting in his car um preparing to drive to a dance hall after they saw Rocky and three gunshots penetrated into the car. So in a panic deal drives away for help. He suffered minor superficial injuries, but Freund was shot twice and she died several hours later at the hospital. Mm. Um, so neither victim had seen the attacker again. It was one of those situations. I'm hearing gunshots. I'm out. Right. You know, and then he probably realized as he was driving away that she had been shot, probably took her to the hospital. That's what I'm assuming. That's how I'm picturing that going down. Right. Um, so they make their first public acknowledgement that the uh, Freyun deal shooting was similar to the earlier incidents and that the crimes might be associated with one another. AKA they're starting to make the connections. Right. AKA there's a serial killer on the loose. Right. This is a pattern now. This is a pattern. And uh, so the victims had, they, they mentioned that all of the victims were struck by the forty four caliber bullets and they sh- um, seemed to target young women with long hair, with long dark hair. 
And because of that, women were like, we're not going out at night. If you want to see me, we can go out during broad daylight. Right. And they were going and dyeing their hair. Well, I don't blame them. I was they about to say, a lot of people were starting to go blonde. They were cutting their hair. They were dyeing it because they didn't want to be the next victim. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, okay. hello, I have long, dark hair. Exactly. So, You've been safe. You're a redhead. Exactly. But I would, have done the, go gray, so. I would have done the same thing. If they were like, oh, there's a serial killer that is targeting long, redheaded women. I would be like, um, I need a wig or I need to dye my hair. Right. Like something. Now, for me, I have so, long, dark hair, but it's starting to go gray. So I feel like <laughs> at some point I might be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but, know. Um, but they were I don't want to find out. They were saying that there was like a large influx of women making appointments with beauty salons to dye their hair. And these stores that sold wigs were running out of them. They, right. They weren't enough to go around. Well, I um, mean, obviously. Because of that. Um, so. I wouldn't want to be targeted either. Exactly. Um, but they were, um, the sergeant, the New York Police Department sergeant, Richard Con- Conlon, stated that police were leaning towards the connection in all of these cases. And the composite sketches were released of the black-haired Loria Valentini shooter and the blonde, let me know, Damasi shooter. And Conlon noted that the police were looking for multiple suspects, not just one, because the sketches looked so different. Yeah. You've got where now we're looking for a blonde man that's not... 200 pounds and taller and now you're looking for a but i you know i can it's the way i can kind of figure that is um you know he the kind of clothes that he was wearing during the first shooting you know that could make him look bigger yep and of course it was also dark and it's late at night Mm -hmm. obviously you're not going to be able to really tell too well how much a person weighs but a skinny person can wear some clothes to make them look to bigger. make themselves yeah. look bigger it yeah. also could have been colder and he had on several different layers which again Hello, make him look bigger <laughs> now now as for the blonde shooter he could have been wearing a wig yeah and his old military uniform he was in the army yeah yeah i mean and it's very 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 either way could fit Right, it could be Especially, that there were two different people. It could be this well, see, like what you my said. Feeling, so my feeling with it is that he's realizing that with this <clears> second <throat> or or third, that he's getting up close and personal with these people, and so in the eventuality that he may be recognized by somebody on the street, exactly, he may have you know donned a wig in his military uniform. Mm-hmm. To try and make it harder for him to be identified. Because then, oh, they're looking for a blonde person that did this. I did it. But they're looking for somebody else completely different. Because I disguised myself because I was in an area where I may have been easily identified. Exactly. So, because as you can tell, he's on a spree now. Yes. So, and that's just Like I said, that kind of is where it opens up for... 
the conspiracy theories or the other theories of okay he wasn't alone he rather it was you believe he was in a satanic cult or it was just him and a buddy that just went on a killing spree and he or just there was took a copycat the rap for killer. it or like what you said if there was a copycat killer one of the other because i again we don't know <laughs> the reason i say copycat is because you hear about all these serial killers and there's sometimes always a copycat killer it's not the exact person but they do something in a complete it's just minute details are different than the actual serial killer right so you have those copycat killings yep a a good example of a copycat would be and of course this is fictional but the scream yeah killings in those in the scream movies where it's not the original killers each movie. They're copycats. They're following right. the same MO. Right. But they're different people. They're connected exactly. in a certain way, but they're still copycats. Exactly. But, it, you know, all of these are are theories, which leaves all of that open because you don't know what to believe. Because right. now Berkowitz went from a dog, a demonic dog was telling me to do this stuff like in to the I'm Omen, part of a satanic to cult. I'm part of a satanic cult. Which I to honestly... Now, I'm a born again Christian, so it's you don't know what to believe out of this Honestly, man's mouth. I just think he's a fucking <laughs> psychopath, and yeah. he's got issues oh, of an definitely. extreme kind. And I don't think you can believe a fucking word that comes out of his goddamn mouth. Right, but it leaves interest in this case because I think there's that's so a way many for him to still keep that kind up. of attention. Yeah, we're never gonna yeah. know the truth. Right, we're never gonna know the truth. Um, and there's so many different theories that have gone along with, with how this could be. And, and we've even just, we've addressed some of them already, but there's, oh, there's more. more. I mean, but you know what I'm saying? There's okay. like, there's like, oh, he, he was, you know, the satanic cult did this and he took the fall for it. What or if he was whatever. possessed? Or he was possessed and, you know, what? it's just... Well, like you said, we'll never know the true story because he got he's, hold of some he's bad rooms one night. And he was just like, you know what? I kind of like that feeling. And he's just tripping and I'm balls just gonna keep and going. talking to a dog. Right. And I'm just going to keep it going. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it was know. the 70s. We don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Psychedelics baby. were a big thing then. Might have been a bad acid trip. You don't know. Right. We don't. Um, now at about 7.30, we're going to get into the next shooting on March the 8th of 1977. Okay. Columbia University student Virginia Voskarichian, and I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing any of these last names. Um, You're murdering she, them all. She was 19, <laughs> and she was walking home from school when she was confronted by an armed man. Now, she lived about a block from where Christine Freund had been shot. So this is in the same area. So in a desperate move to defend herself, she lifted her textbooks between herself and the killer, trying to make a, a shield to right. try to protect herself from the bullet. But, um, of course, it was penetrated and the bullet striking her head at that point, and it killed her instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank God for that. I mean, if you're going to yeah. go out that way, at least it was instant. Right. Um, Small so- mercy. On March the 10th, 1977, press conference was held by the New York City Police Department officials and even the New York City Mayor at the time, Abraham Yame, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that. Again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. Um, we declared the 
you know, we do have a serial killer. You know, they kind of reiterated there is a serial killer on the loose. We are finding these connections. There's been another murder um, kind of thing. And official documents were later revealed, however, saying that the police strongly suspected that the same 44 caliber bulldog had been used in all of the shootings, but the evidence was actually inconclusive to that at the time. Now, these crimes were discussed by local media virtually every single day. Right. right? You couldn't go anywhere in New York and not hear about the 44 caliber killer. Right. right? Because that's what he was being dubbed as at this time. And, um, the like he didn't get the son of Sam moniker until after he was caught. When he started giving the letters. Right. Yeah. Once he started sending the letters to police and mocking them, that's when he became the son of Sam. Now, um, circulation of that, of this story, right? Of this, okay, there's a, there's a serial killer loose in New York. Um, it even increased dramatically from the New York Post and Daily News and newspaper with graphic crime reporting. Like they were going into deep. They were telling about all the details. You wouldn't right. see that nowadays. No, no, and even commentary. Yeah, you would not see that nowadays. Right, and I think that this is what kind of brought that to light. Like we're creating a frenzy. We're we're scaring people into doing things that they maybe shouldn't be doing, or you know, it's okay to tell people be alert, be aware. But going into, like, the gruesome details of it, I mean... Especially from a family standpoint, I wouldn't want to be reading that if it was my daughter, if it was my best friend, or my... my, my, I wouldn't want all mm -hmm. that out in the media or Mm -hmm. anything. Or if I was one of the victims that had lived. Right. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that out there. Like, that's my story to tell. That's not yours. Right. I wouldn't, like, spare the details, man. If I want to give details, you can talk to me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um... Now, the crimes that were, um, it even got not only around the United States, but it was also included in the front page articles of newspapers such as the Vatican's. Wow. So it hit Rome. La Osservatory. Uh, I'm probably. Where's that from? Ro- um, Romano. So it's from the Roman Vatic- Vatican. Ah, uh, the Romano. It's, yeah, it's the, it's the Vatican's. News source, basically. Right. And the Hebrew newspaper. Oh, wow. um, Well, I mean, a lot of the... Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. He's Jewish. And the Soviet, it's Vistia. Um, So So this is gaining worldwide attention. Yeah, this is getting worldwide attention. And I'm sure he's eating this shit up right now. Oh, obviously he is. I did this. So when does he start sending the letters? Um, It is getting ready to happen uh, now, actually. Yeah. All right, so the next shooting happened at about 3 o'clock in the morning on April the 17th, 1977. Right. Alexander Isau, who was a tow truck driver and was 20 years old, and Valentina Seriani, an aspiring actress and model, she was 18, were sitting in Seriani's car near her home in the Bronx, only a few blocks from the scene where the Loria Valentini shootings happened. Right. Okay. Now, when each shot was fired, it was shot twice. Now, Seriani, she died on the scene. And Isal died in the hospital several hours later without being able to describe the attackers, unfortunately. Now, police said that the weapons used for um, were the same ones that had been used, used in the other 44 caliber. caliber. Now, 
At this crime scene, they discovered a handwritten letter. Now, this letter near the bodies of Asao and Siriani, written almost in block capitals, um, with a few lowercase letters and addressed to New York Police Department's Captain Joseph Borelli. Now, with this letter, Berkowitz revealed the name Son of Sam, and this is where he will infamously be known Son of Sam from this point on. Now, the press had previously dubbed the killer the 44 caliber killer, and because of, of his weapon of choice, the letter was initially withheld from the public. Obviously. It's a wonder because they're releasing they all these other stuff. Else. I mean, damn. But some of its contents were revealed to the press. And the name Son of Sam quickly replaced the 44 caliber killer. Now, the letter expressed the killer's determination to continue his work and taunted the police for their fruitless efforts to capture him. Um, so the letter said... And there was a lot of, a lot of misspelled words, a lot of grammatical errors. But we that gonna, may have been done gonna, on purpose, right? We're gonna we're gonna keep it going, and I'm gonna read you what the letter said. All right. I am deeply hurt by you calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped, and slaughtered. Their bodies drained, just bones down. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but if I look out the attic window and watch the world go by, I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot it hurts, sonny boy. I miss the pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's, uh, lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Belzebub, which if you don't know Beelzebub what Belzebub is, is which, right? Belzebub is a demonic figure, like yeah. what you said, it's like Satan. Well, people use it interchangeably, but Belzebub is yeah, a whole different character from Satan, from Lucifer. We could go down a rabbit hole with that, but that's. Yeah, for just my to kind of podcast. Just yeah, we're gonna leave that one to you to yeah. to kind of go over. But it basically, it's a demonic figure, whether it's right. Satan it's a, or whatever. It's a typical name to, that some people use for the devil. Yeah. So, um, just wanted to kind of reiterate what that was in case you didn't know what it was. Now, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queen are the prettiest of them all. I must be the it, I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for Papa, Mister Borelli, sir. I don't want to kill anymore. No, sir, no more. But I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's to the people of Queens. I love you. And I wa want to wish you, that's how it's written, well, want um, to wish you 
a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back to be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. Okay, nice, nice, A for effort, but um, what the fuck? Okay, that's what, what I'm like. What the fuck? That's what I'm like. Now, at the time, police speculated that the letter writer must be familiar in Scottish English because the phrase, me hoot it hurts, sonny boy, was taken as a Scottish accented version of my heart it hurts, sonny boy. Right. But it's just a Scottish version of that. And the police also hypothesized that the shooter blamed a dark-haired nurse for his father's death due to the too many heart attacks phrase. So this is where they're all getting, this is where their yeah. minds are running right now. Um, phrases in the facts that Luria was a medical technician and Valentini was studying to be a nurse. So they're like, we're putting connections yeah. together here. Making the wrong connections, but they're right. putting connections. They're connections. Um, now... The killer, usual, unusual attitude towards the police and the media received widespread scrutiny. As it would. Um, psychologists observed that many serial killers gain gratification by eluding pursuers and observers. And the feeling of the control of the media, law enforcement, and the entire populations provide a source of social power for them, right? It's, right. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm on the newspaper. What are you doing? I'm right. doing this, you know. Um. So after consulting with many psychiatrists, police re um, released a psychological profile of their suspect on May the 26th, 1977. In that profile, he was described as neurotic and probably suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and believed himself to be a victim of demonic possession. Now, there was also on May the 30th 1977 daily news columnist jimmy breslin received a handwritten letter from someone who claimed to be the 44 caliber shooter okay the letter was postmarked earlier that same day in inglewood new jersey and on the reverse of that envelope neatly hand printed in four precisely centered lines were the words blood and family darkness and death absolute depravity 44 with a dot in front of it the letter inside read, Hello from gutter from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they're washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of New York City, and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 caliber killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Luria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Broslin, sir, 
Don't think that because you haven't heard from me in a while that I went to sleep. No, rather, I am still here. Like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday. Or perhaps I will be blown away by the cops with smoking 38s. Whatever. If I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam if you like. And I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember, Miss Laria, thank you in their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. 44 here and some names to help you along. Forward them to Inspector by NCIC, the Duke of Death, the Wicked King Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties. And remember that name because it's going to come in handy. Okay. Rapist and suffocator of young girls. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working the slang to remain. P.S. Digging, driving on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. Underneath the Son of Sam was a logo that, or sketch, that combined several different symbols. The writer's questions, what will you have July the 29th, was almost considered a threat, right? right? Because his first killing had happened on the 29th, so they're like, is he about to do an anniversary shooting to, you know, celebrate the anniversary of his first known case, right? right? So. Also, to our listeners, please disregard my children in the background. They are heathens and don't know how to listen. <laughs> now, Breslin, of course, immediately notified the police who have thought the letter was probably from someone with knowledge of the shootings. Um, the Breslin letter was sophisticated in the wording and presentation, so it's a little bit different than the other one, right? Right. And again, that's kind of goes along with the theory there was more than one person, right? Copycat. Right. Either a copycat, an more, accomplice, more, an accomplice, whatever. Um, so, especially when compared to the first letter, and the police suspected that it might have been created in an art studio or a similar professional location by someone th- someone with expertise in printing, calligraphy, or graphic design. Okay. Now, the unusual writing caused the police to speculate that the killer was a comic letterer. Okay. Possible. So they asked staff members of DC Comics whether they recognized the lettering. Now, the Wicked King Wicker reference caused police to arrange a private screening of The Wicker Man, which was a 1973. Not the bees. Yes. Not the bees. Right. I'm sorry. Every (laughs) time somebody mentions anything about The Wicker Man, all I can see is just Nick Cage. Yeah. Surrounded by bees. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So the New York Daily News published a published a letter um, later that week after agreeing with police to withhold portions of the text. 
And Breslin urged the killer to surrender himself. And the dramatic article made that day's paper the highest selling edition of the Daily News to date. Well, I wonder why. More than 1.1 million <clears throat> copies were sold. Damn. Police received thousands of tips based on references in the publicized portion of the letter, all of which proved to be useless. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that goes to kind of... Um, kind of say it's good to put information out but then again it's almost not yeah. because you're going to get a lot of those things which can halter the case from being able to be solved quicker because they're going on but then you're leads also, that aren't but then you there. also might look up and get that one good lead exactly, exactly. so it's a kind of a double-edged sword with that exactly now, all of the shooting victims to date had long, blo- long dark hair and thousands of women in New York City, just like what I said um, earlier, they went to barbershops and demanded bright colored hair. And like there was a high demand for wigs during that point. Um, so on June the 26th, 1977, um, there was another shooting. Sal Lupo, who was a mechanics helper and was 20 years old, and Jody Placido, a recent high school graduate, she was 17 years old, had left the Elephas Bisquette, which we talked about before, the same place, in Bayside, Queens, and were sitting in Lupo's parked car around 3 o'clock in the morning, where three gunshot blasts went through the vehicle. Okay, now, real quick, kids. Mm-hmm. If you know that this shooter is shooting at parked cars after midnight, mm-hmm. don't you think maybe you shouldn't do that? Yeah. And that's the generation that is, you know. Yeah. Come on, um, guys. I mean, to me, that, that leading that seems, our country. At I this guess point. that's just like a common <laughs> sense thing, I would think. It's like, yeah. okay, yeah, you can go change your hair, but why not not sit? alone in a in cars yeah. Yeah. late at night when you have a serial killer on the loose where the, he, he is literally shooting and killing people who are sitting in parked cars yeah. after midnight yeah by themselves i mean to me that's just like common sense don't do it but you know yeah who am i yeah, and Lupo was uh, wounded in the right forearm while uh, Placido was shot in the right temple shoulder in the back of the neck, but both victims did survive their injuries, thankfully. Now, Lupo told police that the young couple had been discussing this on the same case only moments before it happened. Okay, don't even talk about it either. Like, while they you're were doing in that. a car, and kind of like what you were saying, should we be in this car by ourselves? Like, like, this um, is how I can imagine that conversation. You know, there's that son of Sam. That's still loose, right? Yeah, I, I know that's on the same Why? case. Um, you know, I, I I don't I don't you know it's kind of crazy. You know, all they're doing is sitting in parked cars by themselves. You know, just like what we're doing, chilling, and then all of a sudden, and bam, bam, bam. bam. <laughs> like that's how I imagine that conversation, conversation went. Rather, that was you know what happened. I, just, I don't know. I, I don't that's know. Kinda I don't mean, to me, it. it's like common sense. But you right. know, who am I to say? Right. I was not alive in the 70s. So. Um, now, neither one of them had seen their attacker. and But two witnesses reported a tall, dark-haired man in a leisure suit fleeing from the area. So, again, a different description of a different person. Okay. Right? And um, one claimed to see him leave in a car. 
and even supplied a partial license plate number. Okay, so they're getting somewhere. So we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. So the first anniversary of the initial 44 caliber shooting was approaching, and the police established a sizable dragnet that emphasized past hunting grounds in Queens and the Bronx. However, the next and final 44 caliber shooting occurred in Brooklyn. So we went from Queens. Now we're in Brooklyn. Now, early on, July the 31st, 1977, Stacy Moskowitz, who was a secretary, and Robert Violante, who was a clothing store salesman, they were both 20 years old, were in Violante's car, and when they were parked under a street light near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach, and they were on their first date. So I guess they thought, okay, if I'm under a street light, it may give me... This is going on in Queens. Sick. We're not in Queens. Right. We're not in... We're, we're not. Yeah. This, is, this isn't going where on this here. Not, this, isn't, this isn't where it's this happening. This is happening somewhere else. Okay. We're good. We're good. Still wouldn't um, do it, but... So they were having their first kiss. Aw. And the man approached within three feet of the passenger side of Violante's car and fired four rounds into the car striking both victims in the head before he escaped into the car, until he escaped into the park. Now, Violante, he lost his left eye because of this. wow. And Moskowitz, who was the only blonde victim of Berkowitz, died because of her injuries. Wow. So can you imagine? You just going on a first date. It's going great. You're sitting there talking, getting to know each other a little bit better. You start kissing and, you know, all of and that. And then boom, and all then of a sudden boom. one of you loses an eye, the other one dies. Yeah, and it's like, what the world? Oh, fuck, man. Right. <laughs> so that night. Needless te- to say, there was not a second date. Unfortunately. I'm sorry. I Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Now that night, Detective John. Felatico was awakened at his home and was told to report at the 10th Homicide Division of the 60th Precinct Station House in Coney Islands. He was given two weeks to work on the Moskowitz and Violante case as a normal murder investigation. Because again, like you said, this is happening. This is in, this is happening in, in Queens and it's happening in, you know, Yonkers, it's not happening in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's in Brooklyn, a whole completely right? And she's area. blonde, like you she's said, blonde. she's she blonde. Doesn't she, doesn't, she doesn't fit the mo. Um, so if they could not be solved in that time frame, it was going to be given to the Son of Sam Task Force, right? At Which that point, makes sense because it was the forty-four caliber that did the shooting. So now we're going to get to where we actually catch him because that was the last killing. Okay, but you said when you were reading that book earlier that there was a letter in that book that yeah. you didn't have. What does that letter say before we move on? Because I'm, I'm interested to know because you said you didn't have that one. Yes, this is when he was saying that it was an occult that was causing this. And this happened, it was a... Um, so this is a letter from like the 90s? 79. 79, okay. Mm-hmm. It reads, I really don't know how to begin this letter, but at one time I was a member of an occult group. Being sworn to secrecy or face death. I cannot reveal the names of my group, nor do I wish to. The group contained a mixture of satanic practices, which included the teachings of the Aleister Crawley and Eliphaz Levy. It was and still is totally blood oriented. And I am certain you know just what I mean. 
The Coven's Doctrines are a blend of Golden Dawn, Black Magic, and a host of other unlawful and obnoxious practices. As I said, I have no interest in revealing the Coven, especially because I've almost met sudden death on several occasions, once by half an inch, and several others have already perished under mysterious circumstances. These people will not stop at nothing, including murder. They have no fear of man-made laws or the Ten Commandments. Now, what he's talking about is, um, I believe that I have that in here. Okay. Where two people were actually, had a father named Sam. Okay. And um, they ended up both being shot. One was said to be a suicide. One was said to be murder. Um, but both died of that. And I think that that's what he was meaning in that. Well, it's possible that could have been like vigilante justice in a way. It could be. Um, son of Sam, these two people had fathers named Sam. Yeah. And, and, and obviously fear is running at an all time high. And they had a dog. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that, that could be coincidence basically. Yeah. yeah. But again, that fed into these conspiracy theories of, and there's even a theory that the same, that cult and the cult that Charles Manson created yeah. and that they were all following the same leaders. So that they were interconnected. They were interconnected. Okay. Um, again, that's a complete theory. Berkowitz has never said that's the same one as Charles Manson following because he say. didn't know. I mean, you know, the, Charles Manson was in prison when the these shootings were happening. So he would, I don't think he would have known unless he had been in that satanic cult for a long time. Or unless he just happened <laughs> to idolize Charles Manson. I mean, he was in the news. Yeah. And so, that's I mean, another, that's another possibility too. But do you see how this has got us all like running rampant? Like there's yeah, no solid just, answers. Just everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So continue on. <laughs> yeah. But that's that letter. I, 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 that, that was, just interested me that, because I didn't know if that was like a letter that he had sent to the police that you didn't have mm-hmm. or what it was, but continue on. So now we're talking about now he's going to get caught. Yes. So local resident Cassilia Davis was walking her dog at the scene of the Moskowitz and Violante shootings. When she saw a patrol call officer, Michael Pataneo, um, ticketing a car that was parked near a fire hydrant. Right. So he's right. just doing his job. You're not parked in the right spot. Whatever. Illegal parking. That kind right. of thing. You're getting a parking ticket. You're getting a parking ticket. So moments after the traffic police had left, a young man walked past her from the area of the car and he seemed to study her with some interest. Now, of course, she felt uncomfortable because he was wielding and his um, he was had something in his hand. It looked like a dark object. So she was thinking, oh, crap, well, you know, you this is the son high. of Sam. Oh, my God, there I'm was just a shooting here. I'm about to be the next victim, right? That's her thought process at this point. So, of course, immediately she started running, and she ran to her home only to hear shots fired behind her in the street, okay? So she was probably writing her assumptions, right. and she just had that quick thinking and was like, I'm out, Yeah, which saved her life, thankfully. So she remained silent about that experience for four whole days. And then she finally contacted the police who closely checked every car that had been ticketed in that area that night to try to figure out what's going on. So, um, you know how they were saying we saw a yellow car? Right. Uh Uh-huh. Berkowitz 1970 four-door yellow Ford Galaxy 
was among the cars that were investigated. So on August the 9th, 1977, New York Police Department Detective James Justice telephoned Yonkers police to ask them to schedule an interview with Berkowitz, right? We're just right. going to question him. We just need to ask him a couple we're just questions. Gonna, we're just going to question him. Doesn't mean his car was ticketed in the area. Right. We, we just want to clarify everything. Talk. We want to get some information. Right. So the Yonkers police dispatcher who first took Justice's calls was a wheat car. So do you guys, do you remember in the letter, they were talking about Weedy. Right. In the first letter. John Weedy. John Weedy. Right. And the daughter, she was the daughter of Sam Carr and the sister of Berkowitz's alleged cult confidence, John, because remember it was John Weedy's. Right. And Michael Carr, which was the ones that I said had died one right. was they say suicide and the other one was murder. Right. So both of them have died in in the late seventies. Right. Because of that. So that's where that's coming from. And Justice asked the Yonkers police for some help tracking down Berkowitz. And according to Mike Noventley, a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department, the Yonkers police had their own suspicions about Berkowitz in connection with other strange crimes that were happening in Yonkers. Crimes that they saw referred to in one of the Son of Sam letters. Why they didn't say something to the Son of Sam detectives? I don't know, because they could have saved some lives if they would have just said, hey, you might want to check out my boy here. Right. Um, I love how you pick up a New York accent. I'm sorry. It's hilarious. I'm sorry. We get after you all the time. <laughs> now, Yonkers investigators even told the New York City police detective that Berkowitz might be the son of Sam. If you thought that, why not say, say something, something sooner? Right. Why wait until we contact you to say, hey, we're here to check out your boy. What's going on? Like, What's happening? Come on now. What's happening? So the next day on August the 10th, 1977, which all of these dates are really crazy because one was my birthday years before. One was Jennifer's birthday. This is the day that my great-grandma passed. So all of these dates are very, like, well, not connected to mention, he was to born on my brother's birthday. Right. So it's my like all of these connections date. All of, it's just so. crazy. It's just crazy. But on August the 10th, 1977, they investigated Berkowitz's car that was parked on the street outside of his apartment building at 35 Pine Street in Yonkers. They did this without even telling Berkowitz. So they didn't really have, like, a warrant or anything. They were so just they like, did we're legal search. Just checking this out we're just okay we're just checking we're just checking um they saw a rifle in the back seat they searched the car and they found a duffel bag filled with ammunition maps of the crime scene and a threatening letter addressed to inspector timothy dowd of the omega task force so of course Police are going to sit there and they're going to wait for Berkowitz to leave the apartment. Because now they have probable cause. Right. So rather than risk a violent encounter inside of the building's narrow hallway, they were like, we're going to wait for him to come out. And then we're going to get him. Get him. So they also waited to obtain a search warrant for the apartment, worrying that the search might be challenged in court. And the initial search of the vehicle was based on the rifle that was visible in the back seat. So they had probable cause. They right. looked, they saw the rifle, they were like, ah, <laughs> we're searching this. Right. Um, so although possession right. So although the possession of such a rifle is legal in New York, if you have a state, if you have you, you know have a license. If you have a license for it and it's, you know, in your name and registered and all of that, um, 
and required no special permit, and the warrant still had not arrived when Berkowitz ex um, exited the apartment building at about 10 o'clock that night. And as he entered the car, Detective John Falatico approached the driver's side of the car, and Falatico pointed his gun close to Berkowitz's temple. And while Detective Sergeant William Gardelia pointed his gun from the passenger side. So they're like, you're not going nowhere. Where are yeah. you thinking going? Nowhere. nowhere. You're staying okay. right here. You're right here. Now a paper bag which contained, guess what? A 44 caliber bulldog revolver, which is what was used on all of these, um, all of these crimes, was found next to Berkowitz's car. So he was like, let me just slide me just this over here real slide quick. Slide that under there real quick. Mm-hmm. And then Berkowitz is then stated flatly, well, you got me. As described by Son of Sam movie in 1981 by Lawrence D. Clouser, Detective um, Felatico remembered the big, I'm sorry, the Son of Sam, that was a book, not a movie. Excuse me. Although there was a movie made about him. Yes, there's been, yeah. Several. Um, inexplicable smile. He had like this big grin on his face. Now that I've got you, Detective Falatico said to the suspect, who have I got? You know, the man said and the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. No, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. You're Sam? Sam who? Sam David Berkowitz. Damn. So and, um, though an alternative an alternate version claimed that Berkowitz's first words that were reported to be, Well, you got me. How come it took you so long? So again, another little what you know. Um, so Detective John Falatico was officially credited by the New York Police Department as the arresting officer of the Son of Sam. So these guys were like, praise. They're like, hallelujah, you caught him. You go into a bar, you ain't buying not one drink. We're buying you the drinks tonight, okay? We're getting you shit faced. We, getting, we got you, okay? What you need, you need me to pay a bill? Let me give you some extra money. Let me throw you some let me throw you some coins Here's real quick. Here's the keys to the city. Okay? Right. We got you. Like, they were like gods in the city at this point. At this point. So, now, <clears throat> soon after he was arrested, the address of the building was changed from 35 Pond Street to 42 Pond Street in an attempt to keep, end that notoriety yeah. and, and everything. Keep people from coming to see it. Yeah. So after the arrest, Berkowitz was briefly held in a Yonkers police station before being transported directly to the 60th precinct in Coney Islands, where the detectives task force was located at about one o'clock in the morning. Mayor Abraham Biami arrived to see the suspect personally. He's like, I'm going to see this motherfucker. You, you terrorize my neighborhood. Oh, I'm coming for you. I'm coming after okay, you, I got you. So after a brief and wordless encounter, like they were just like, it was just like a stare down. Okay. okay. Like it's just, whoop. you Show got me. The okay corral. You got me. I got you. Okay. Got you. <laughs> um, he announced poppin'. to the media, the people of the city of New York can rest easy because of the fact that the police have captured a man whom they believe to be the son of Sam. So he was like, we got him. Y'all are good. So then he confessed. Berkowitz was interrogated for about 
30 minutes in the early morning the next day on August the 11th of 1977, and he quickly confessed to the murders and shootings, and he expressed an interest in pleading guilty. He's like, you got me. You got me. Red-handed. Like, why should I try I'm to? not trying to hide it. Um, the investigation was led by John Keenan, who took the confession, and during questioning, Berkowitz claimed that his neighbor's dog was one of the reasons that he had killed, stating that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls, and he said that Sam mentioned in the first letter was his former neighbor, Sam Carr. Berkowitz claimed that Harvey's um, car's black l- um, Labrador retriever. I don't know why I was always picturing a golden retriever. Yeah. No, it was, a, it was, this is like some omen stuff. Cause that's kind of almost like the same. Yeah. Was, it's all for you, Damien. It's all for you, Damien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said that there, that the, the black Labrador retriever was possessed by an ancient demon and that it issued irresistible commands that Berkowitz must kill people. So a few weeks later, um, after his arrest and his confession, Berkowitz was permitted to communicate with the press in a letter to the New York Post dated September the 19th, 1977. Berkowitz alluded to his original story of the demonic possession, but closely with a warning that has been interpreted by some investigators and an admission of criminal accomplices. There are other son of Sam's out there. God help the world. Now at a press conference in February of 1979, However, Berkowitz declared that his previous claims of demonic possession was just a hoax. Berkowitz stated that in a series of meetings with his special court-appointed psychiatrist, David Abrahamson, um, that he had long contemplated murder to get revenge on a world that he had felt rejected and hurt him. So three, you heard me right, three separate mental health examinations determined that Berkowitz was competent to stand trial. Despite this, defense um, lawyers advised Berkowitz to enter a plea of not not guilty by reason of insanity. Berkowitz, he refused. So obviously, yeah, that's somebody that's competent mentally. Three, three checks, okay? Not one, not two. And I mean, to, you know, be like, you know, yeah, they got me. Why am I going to sit here and plead not guilty? I've already said I'm guilty. I'm good. I did it. I did it. I did it. (laughs) So he appeared calm when he went into court on May the 8th, 1978, as he pleaded guilty to all of the shootings. He's like, I did it. You got me. At his sentencing two weeks later, though, Berkowitz caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window of the seventh floor courtroom oh buddy after he was restrained he repeatedly chanted stacy who if you remember is his last victim's name was a whore and shouted i'd kill her again i'd kill them all again so the court ordered another psychiatric examination before sentencing could proceed because he acted a fool (laughs) and um during that examination, Berkowitz drew a sketch of a jailed man surrounded by numerous walls, and at the bottom he wrote, I am not well, not well at all. Nonetheless, Berkowitz was again found competent to stand trial. So he may have just been like, I can Fucking with them. maybe I can get away with this if I, if I act this way, or, you know, I'm going to go or crazy, again, try start to get crazy. himself some more notoriety. Exactly. Again, we don't know. 
Um, but on June the 12th, 1978, Berkowitz was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for each murder to be served consecutively. And so he was ordered to serve time in the Attica Correctional Facility in upstate New York Supermax prison. And despite prosecutors' objections, the term of Berkowitz's guilty plea made him eligible for parole, for parole in 25 years. Now, after his arrest, Berkowitz was initially um, confined to a psychiatric ward in Kings County Hospital, where the staff reported that he seemed remarkably troubled by his new environment. On the day after his sentencing, he was, um, hold on, he was uh, taken first to Sing Sing Prison. Oh, so he did some time in Sing Sing. Mm-hmm. And then to the upstate Clinton Correctional Facility for psychiatric and physical examinations. Two more months were spent at the Central New York Psychiatric Center in Marcy before his admission to the Attica prison. And Berkowitz served about a decade in Attica until he was relocated in 1990 to Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, where he remained for many years until he was transferred to um, Shawanku. S-H-A-W-A-N-G-U-N-K. Shawnagunk Correctional Facility. I don't know. I, I don't, in don't know. Ulster County. And Berkowitz described his life in Attica as a nightmare. Well, well good for you, well, yeah. sir. Attica good for you. some shit. Attica and Sing Sing. Good for you, sir. That's Ooh, what you need for you, killing you, these you people. You deserve that. You, you deserve, deserve that. that. So in 1979, there Full was. Full judgment. Yeah, no. <laughs> Full judgment. On Full that judgment. One. Full judgment. So in 1979, there was an attempt on Berkowitz's life in which uh, the left side of his neck was slashed from front to back, uh, resulting in a wound that required more than 50 stitches to be closed. And in some of the interviews, even to this day, you can see the scar. And I'm like, you deserve that. You deserve that, motherfucker. You deserve that. (laughs) Um, He refused to identify his assailant and... um, he only claimed that he was grateful for um, the attack. It brought a sense of justice, or in Berkowitz's own run, uh, words, the punishment I deserve. Good on you. Yes. So in 1987, <clears throat> Berkowitz became an evangelical Christian in prison. <sighs> According to his personal testimony, His moment of conversion occurred after reading Psalms 34-6 from a Bible given to him by a former, a fellow inmate. He says he no longer to be referred, he no longer wants to be referred to as a son of Sam, but the son of hope. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Soon after imprisonment, Berkowitz (sighs) invited Malachi Martin, who was an exorcist, to help him compose an autobiography. But the offer was not accepted. You 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 ask an exorcist? Yes, yes. Not yes. an actual author, but an ex. Yes, an exorcist. You know what? I I'm not gonna. He did. Okay. Um, during later years, Berkowitz developed his memoirs with assistance from evangelical Christians. <laughs> Such Christians, right? <laughs> his statements were released as an interview video, "Son of Hope," during 1998. <sighs> With a more extensive work being released in a book entitled Son of Hope, The Prison's Journal of David Berkowitz in 2006. Now, Berkowitz does not receive any royalties or profits from any sales of his work. He has continued to write essays on faith and repentance for Christian websites. 
his own official website. Yes, this motherfucker has an official website. What the? Is maintained on his behalf by a church group since he is not allowed to access a computer. Berkowitz stays um, involvement with the prison ministry and regularly cancels troubled inmates. Y'all. Now, while in the Sullivan facility, he pursued education and graduated with honors from Sullivan Community College. Y'all. Yeah. What? Boo-boo. What? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't think there's any amount of repenting. No. That uh-uh, man can do that. Uh-uh. to save that. his soul. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, just yeah. no. Okay. No. But, but you know, whatever makes, whatever allows you to find peace and what you've done. Right. Whatever, man. It's not my life. Right. Now, Berkowitz is entitled to parole hearing every two years as mandated by the state law. Now, though he has consistently refused to ask for his release, sometimes skip, even skipping the hearings. He's like, I did it. I'm going to just deal with the time I'm here. Now, but because I think feel like he knows if he gets out, somebody's gonna kill. Somebody's him. gonna kill him. Somebody's gonna off him. It, uh, he's not gonna be out long. He's not gonna be out long. So before his first parole hearing in 2002, Berkowitz sent a letter to New York Governor George Pataki, demanding that it be canceled. He wrote, "In all honesty, I believe I deserve to be in prison for the rest of my life. I have, with God's help, long time ago come to terms with my situation, and I have accepted my punishment." Officials at the Sullivan facility rejected his demand because by law, they had to do it. So in his 2016 hearing in um, Shawnagunk, New York, Berkowitz stated that while parole was unrealistic, he felt that he had improved himself behind bars, adding, I feel I am no risk whatsoever. His lawyer, Mark Heller, noted that the prison staff considered Berkowitz to be a model prisoner. Um, Commissioners denied a parole at that point. And in 2008, the board again denied the release of Berkowitz on parole. His next hearing was scheduled for May of 2020, but of course, COVID COVID hit. Um, So his case has been delayed until further notice. Well, he's not getting out. Right. I don't see him ever getting out. The people of New York are not going to allow that to happen. happen. And if they do, this man is not going to make it out the doors without being shot like somebody's going to be standing right there and they're going to be like you know what i killed the son of sam you let him out i killed him right and they're going to and they're just going to happily go go in there and take their time right you know and they'll probably get a standing ovation if i'm being honest they might get acquitted yes um now also to be noted in 2002 during the dc sniper attacks berkowitz actually wrote a letter to the snipers to stop hurting innocent people. Now, Berkowitz made his comments in a three-page letter to Rita Cosby, senior Chicago correspondent for Fox News Channel. And after, Cosby wrote to him seeking his comment on the sniper attacks. Which, if you want the address, I have the address to no, be able to mail I, I David don't. Berkowitz. I'm good. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. good. So Google. during June of 2005, Berkowitz sued one of his previous lawyers for the misappropriation of a large number of letters, photographs, and other personal possessions. Hugo Harmatz, which is a New Jersey attorney, um, had represented Berkowitz in an earlier legal effort to prevent the National Enquirer from buying one of his letters. Now, Harmitz then self-published his own collection of letters and memorabilia, Dear David, which he had obtained from Berkowitz during their um, consultation. 
Berkowitz stated that he would drop the lawsuit only if the attorney signed over all the money that he made to the victims' families. Well, okay. Now, in October of 2006... Um, Berkowitz and Harmatz settled out of court and Harmatz um, agreeing to return the dis- uh, distributed items and to donate part of the book's profits to the New York State Crime Victims Board. Okay. Um, now, in 1979, I did um, read that letter that he wrote about the witchcraft and um, he even mailed out a book about witchcraft to police in North Dakota. Why North Dakota? I don't know. He had Meth, un- they're on it. Right. Have you seen the shirts? Right. <laughs> yeah. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> now, he had underlined several um, passages and written a few marginal notes, including the phrase, Arliss Perry, hunted, stalked, and slain, followed to California, um, California Stafford University. The reference was to Arliss Perry, a 19-year-old North Dakota, New- North Dakota newlywed who had been murdered on Stanford on October the 12th, 1974. So this is one that stuck out to him. Whether he did it, Ooh, we don't buddy. know. So her death and the notorious abuse of her corpse in a Christian chapel on a campus. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, she was murdered in a chapel. Flags that you see put up. Mm. In a church? Yeah. Put inside of her. No. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That uh-huh. is Oh what that's a way to rough. what a way to die. That's right. Rough, man. Rough, 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 rough. Oh my god. Um, okay. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um now was that was widely reported case because I mean that's obviously like what we said a rough way to die and you know, it's gonna be top news at the time. So Berkowitz mentioned that the Perry attack and other letters suggesting that he knew details of it from the perpetrator himself. So local police investigator interviewed him. And um, but then now, which was in 2014, 2004, believing that he has nothing of value to offer. So he's changing up. He's like, oh, I know about this. Oh, but oh, no, wait, I no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Motherfucker. Now, the Arliss Perry case has since been solved, thankfully. It was actually, they found the security guard of the chapel. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they think that that was connected in the cult. Like, that's how David Berkowitz knew was because the this cult. is part of his cult. So, after his admission. It's always a cult. It's always a cult. Um, after his admission to the Sullivan um, to Sullivan Prison, Berkowitz began to claim that he had joined a satanic cult in the spring of 1975. And in 1993, Berkowitz made these claims known that he announced to the press that he had killed only three of the Son of Sam victims, which was Donna Laria, Alexander Asau, and Valentina Siriani. So he's four. saying, uh-uh, Donna Laria. Oh, that's right. Alexander Asau and Valentina Siriani. So, in his revised version of the events, which, again, he keeps changing up the story, Berkowitz said that other shooters were involved and that he fired the gun only in the first attack, Laura and Valentini, Valentini, and the sixth attack, Asao and Seriani. He said that he had several other cult members were involved in every incident by planning the events, providing early surveillance of the victims, and acting as lookouts and drivers at the crime scene. That, I mean, to an extent, I can I can see that. Yeah. Like, okay, I got your back. Like, even if it wasn't a cult, even if it wasn't a satanic cult, which, I mean, either way, having, you know, 
I could see other people. Yeah, I could see having a accomplice, like a getaway car and things like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some, maybe they knew what was happening, but maybe they didn't. Yeah. You know? I, but again, he said that he could not divulge names of the, the most of the accomplices without putting his family at directly at risk. Yeah. To me, that's And it's like, bullshit. what family at this point? To me, that screams bullshit. You know what I mean? What family at this point? Right. That's what I want to know. What none. family at this point? You, 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 you're, you were an only child that was adopted. What, what are they going to do? Right. And kill sure the man that dead. Your dad, your adopted all, dad. All is of them. Dead. All of them are dead at They're this gonna, point. Are you, what are they going to do? Kill the guy that was your biological father? That no. I mean, they are, all, all of his parents are probably dead at this point. Like, are you talking? You have no siblings. You are you talking about your half sister? You're talking about right. your cousins? Right. Your I mean, neighbor's it, doll. I, I mean, know. come on. Right. I, I honestly, that's what to me mm. just kind of screams bullshit. But, right. Um. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So. And we're we're wrapping this up. We're wrapping it up. Yes. Yeah. So among his alleged unnamed um, associate was a female cult member whom he claims fired the gun at Denaro and Keenan, both of whom that survived. Now, Berkowitz said because of the alleged accomplice was unfamiliar with the powerful recall of the 44 Bulldog, Berkowitz declared that at least five cult members were at the scene of the Freyud deal shooting, but the actual shooter was a prominent cult associate who had been brought in from outside of New York with an unspecified motive. And a cult member whom identified only as the nickname Manson II again is connecting him to Charles Manson another unnamed person was the gunman in the Moskowitz Violante case and a male cult member who was arrived from North Dakota hello North Dakota there's too many damn connections in this shit from the occasion also without explanation so Berkowitz did name two of the cult members John and Michael Carr remember I did mention and that was because they were already dead it's like what have I got to what (laughs) they ain't gonna do nothing yeah, um, John Carr had been killed in a shooting, judged a suicide in North Dakota during 78. So he's like, Fuck this, I'm out of New York. I'm going, I'm, yeah. I'm going to North Dakota. And Michael Carr had been killed in a fatal car accident in 1979. So I was incorrect in saying that they were both mur- um, yeah. both shot. But Berkowitz claimed that the actual perpetrator of the Damasi Lomiono case, uh, case was John Carr. And he added that a Yonkers police officer who was also a cult member was in on it. Was in on it. And he claimed that Michael Carr fired the shots at Lupo and Placido. Mm. Now, um, you know, journalist John Hockenberry asserts that even aside from the satanic cult claims, many um, officials dubbed the single shooter theory, writing why most... Um, what most don't know about the Sonic Sam case is that from the beginning, not everyone bought the idea that Berkowitz was acted alone. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think that he acted alone. Honestly, at this point, I don't know. All I know is that there's people that are dead. Yes. And stories have changed too much after the fact. Yeah. For me to, like, really make a definitive. All I know is that this motherfucker is guilty. Mm -hmm. He's in jail. And that's that. Yes. Now, um, Hockenberry also did his own report and broadcasted on uh, network news by giving him must exposure on Dateline NBC in 2004. 
So he actually, I got to interview him and you can look the interview, Google it, it, YouTube it, whatever. Um, And he discusses another journalist named Maury Terry. Now, Maury Terry wrote a book called Becoming Evil. And it's based on the son of Sam and the conspiracies and how he thinks that it was a cult and that it was satanic. And, you know, Berkowitz definitely didn't act alone. And Maury Terry went down a rabbit hole. And when I say he went down a rabbit hole, he lost his wife. Okay, so he went to one. So he went like full, nothing else mattered but me proving that David Berkowitz was not the only one and he was part of a satanic cult. That was yeah, the only thing obsession. on his mind. That's, that's and he ended good. up dying um, alone because of his obsession with this case. Um, you can go through and you can look up Maury Terry. He was on the um, Geraldo Rivera show oh, talking well, about horrible. this. He was on um, so many different like news broadcasters and all of them were like, dude. You're nuts. Um, are, are you okay? Right. Um and so I kind of want to read the book. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Just to kind of hear that side of the story a little bit more, because that's basically what the new of, um, that's basically what the Son of Sam documentary is on, is his story. Um, now, there was also, <laughs> of course, Damn, bitch. lots, <laughs> lots of, um, lots of uh, movies and documentaries, of course, you can look that all up. But one thing that I found very interesting was music that's based off of the Son of Sam killings. The Son of Sam has been popularly and mistakenly associated with the con- um, con- um, with the song Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. And likewise, Elliot Smith had stated that his song Son of Sam is not literally about, um, about Berkowitz, but there was a Marilyn Manson song that we is that. about the Son of Sam. Yes. Um, so that song is called Son of Man. Um, mm. and yeah. So, of course, what do you do? Right. Um, because <laughs> even Manson's guitarist was named Daisy Berkowitz. His stage name was Daisy Berkowitz. So there you go. Um, but that's pretty much the story of Son of Sam. Well, we then. can believe what we want to believe. Take away with what you want to take away from it. My thought is, I don't think he acted alone. How many people were with him? I don't know. I would say probably a minimum of three because there was so many different descriptions of these people. It's kind of hard for me to believe that it was just one person. Because even if you, if I put on a blonde wig, you'll be able to tell that I'm wearing my, a blonde my, wig. My thing is, is I, I'm going more along the line of copycat. And that's very possible too. I, 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 I think I um, subscribe to the idea of there's a copycat killer. And not just him. So, yeah. you but know. I, I went really down a rabbit hole and I watched like two or three documentaries on him. Um, read everything that I could find online. Watched YouTube videos on stuff. And it, 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 it really, I really went down a rabbit hole. And that's what I'm getting from it. Do I think that it was a satanic ritual? No. no his, but in every lie, there's a little bit of truth I in think everything. Maybe, so. maybe he wanted it to be mm-hmm. because again he's a loner that sense of belonging even if it's to something that's not quite right, right 
Or, you know, mm-hmm. again, he's in New York. What if maybe it was a gang initiation or right. something? You know, there's right. no telling. And you can't say, oh, it's this gang. Right. So why not call it a satanic cult? <laughs> right. Because if I, w- I would think that um, if it's a satanic cult, it's going to be a lot more ritualized yeah. than just gunning random people down right. in cars. I feel like if you're going to do the black witchcraft, if you're going to go the black route, right? Right. The darkness, the, the, ev- the, the evil side like, of it. I feel like there's if probably going to be a lot more, I would say a lot more ritualistic things as far as maybe not using a gun right but a knife right it's gonna be a little you're gonna Sculpting leave it different it's things gonna, the scene the is gonna look a little bit more ritualistic than just gunning somebody down in a vehicle right I, you're gonna be laid out in a, in a certain way right. or in a certain it's holding way. something or yeah. dressed a certain way or yeah. the body's going to be situated in a certain way or there's gonna be certain markings <clears> or identifying <throat> yeah i that that's what to me, Satan does not. It doesn't scream Satan to me. Right. To me, it just seems I, more I just think along that him and his buddies. Him and his buddies did bad things, and he was just like, you know what? Whichever one of us gets caught, we'll just take the blame. We won't do it anymore right. after one of us gets caught. And I feel like that's what happened. Yeah. I just, I honestly think copycat. But again, I, we don't know the truth because his story keeps changing. Yeah. We, and it'll probably and, change to the day he and, and these, bites it. So. These victims didn't get a clear, clear eye shot of them. Right. You know, like they were their main process was okay. I'm in a car. I'm just going. Like, like I'm gonna fuck die. Fuck who's so in front of me. I'm gone. You right. know, I'm gonna. You know, or either they're dead and they can't tell. Oh, yeah. You know, dead man so, don't tell no tales. Unless you got so, a Ouija board. Unless but, you have a Ouija board. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's that's the that that's is the, the son, son of Sam. Sam. Um, awesome. it, sorry that this is a long one. It's um, all right. It's a good I, one. I went down a rabbit hole. I got a lot of information, and I was like, I'm in this. I am invested. (laughs) Well, with that being said, guys, we're not going to hold you any longer. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Yes. Um, Give us a rate. Give us a like. Drop a comment on Facebook. Um, You know the deal. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you on my episode. Yes. Which is going to be a good one. Yes, um, it's just me. Oh, and uh, we do have a name for my segment. Oh, are we going to announce it on this one or are we going to announce it on the next We're one? We're going to announce it on the next one, but I just want to let y'all know we do have All a right, name. All right, we do have and a I'm name. And I'm excited about it, and my topic has been chosen. We will leave so, you guys with a cliffhanger. Yes, and it's going to be <laughs> fantastic. Yes. All right, guys. To hear um, that. Again, thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next episode. Yes, see you guys so, later. See you guys, and be weird. <laughs>
anywhere podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and the like. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the next one. Stay spooky and always be weird.